0: All right, we're gonna get into it here this morning. We've got communion, and that always puts a little bit more of a time crunch on me. You know how how I like to talk, so we'll uh, we'll try and move move rather quickly through our, our message this morning. We're gonna be in Romans two. If you if you don't make a habit of this, um, it's fine. But I would encourage you if sometime during the week we always put it on the bulletin. If you want to read ahead and uh, kind of read where we're going, I think it will help you tremendously to, to kind of follow along and, and hear, uh, yeah, just help you, help you follow along with, with what we're doing in the morning if you read the text before you come. So try and get in the habit of that if you, if you would. I think it would be very helpful. We're gonna rewind the, uh, the clock here a little bit and uh, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about my high school days. Nothing wild and crazy. It was my first day of calculus, which also happened to be my last day of calculus. So, <laughs> I signed up for calculus my senior year. I get into the class, and my teacher, we get in, we sit down. He's like, all right, first thing of business, if you are not headed into any math-related field, you should drop my class. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, seriously, you don't need this. You do not need calculus for anything. If you're definitely not going, you should totally drop this. He said, I'm going to clue you guys into a little secret. As life goes on, you will discover that it's a lot more about who you know not what you know in life. It's a lot more about who you know, not what you know. And so you don't need calculus. And my guidance counselor was beyond upset that I dropped that class, but I had known when I, when I started there, I had known that I was pursuing a ministry track headed to Taylor University and, and not gonna do anything math related. And so I did what he said. And yeah, it was kind of a deal. Anyways, <clears throat> I dropped calculus and my teacher was correct. I have not needed it. I, to this day, could not tell you what calculus is other than it's math, Um, (laughs) but I I haven't missed out. I'm, I'm still here and still succeeding at life and doing all that, so he was right about that, but he was more right than he knew when he told us that little proverb. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And that's true not only in life, but as you'll discover this morning, it's even more true in death. It's not about what you know, it is about who you know. For the last five weeks, we've been going through Romans. We're on our fifth week, and we discovered what the good news of the gospel is in Romans 1. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, we're told that the gospel is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. It is by faith from start to finish that is the good news of the gospel it's who you know not what you know not what you do and not what you show as we will discover as we work through this the good news is it's all about faith about knowing Jesus believing loyalty signing up to be a part of Jesus's family with God as your father living on his team as a child of God by faith period That's the good news of the gospel. And so Paul, if he's writing a research paper, if we would say Romans is a research paper, again, back to your high school days, you you need to come up with a thesis statement, right? What's this all about? Well, Romans 1, 16 and 17 is the thesis. He says, this is the gospel. It's by faith, through grace, alone. That's it. The problem is, there's a bunch of people in the Roman people and in Christianity today that fall in different groups that forget that thesis statement. Right? And so he launches into the thesis statement, and then he clues us into a couple groups that miss the gospel. And, and uh, a couple weeks ago in Romans 1, we were told what that first group was. It's the suppressing Sam's of the world. The suppressing Sam's of the world. These are the people that suppress the truth of the gospel right? They don't think they need God. They don't want there to be a God because they want themselves to be God. So they get to determine what's right. They get to do whatever they want. They don't think they're that bad, but Paul says, actually, they're pretty wicked. They're unrighteous. They celebrate evil. They invent ways of doing evil, and they celebrate things that they should be ashamed of. And church people, that's most of us in here, we love to read Romans 1, right? because we read Romans 1 and it kind of puffs us up with pride. We look out and we think, oh, we're, we're not them. We're not suppressing the truth of God. We know the truth of God. And we look out and we start to think, yeah, they deserve judgment. We start to agree with Paul and with God. Yeah, bring the wrath. Those people, they, they, need, they need clued in. But Paul's no dummy. Paul is no dummy. If you keep Romans or if you keep reading in Romans as we did last week as we will this week, you will discover rather quickly that Romans 1 is a setup. Paul is wanting us to get kind of proud and boastful in our works and in what we know because he's he's walking us kind of out on a limb and then he's going to saw that limb off and remind us that ain't the gospel. That's not where salvation is found. So we've got the suppressing truth, Sams, the suppressing Sams in Romans 1. He says, yeah, those people are lost, that's true, they deserve judgment. But he said, hold up, before you cast judgment, let me tell you about two more groups of people. In Romans 2 last week, and uh, Wes unpacked this a little bit for us, in the first part of Romans 2, we get clued into another group. These are the decent Darrels, The decent Daryls of the world. They're not suppressing the truth, right? They believe that there is truth. They're not so sure if they need God because they're pretty decent right? They're about the social justice and all the woke causes and canceling people that are doing bad things. And we we put the thing on Facebook and we virtue signal about how good and decent we are. And when we're confronted with the truth of the Bible, it's not that we're like necessarily against God. We just don't think we need God. That's the decent Daryls, because they can save themselves. They're their own saviors. Paul says, well, hold up, right? That's, that ain't it. You can't save yourselves. Jesus had to come for a reason. And then within that subset, so we've got the suppressing Sams. These are the people that are just wild and crazy rebellious, celebrating evil, inventing ways of doing evil and sinning. You've got the decent Darrels. They're like decent people, you know, good citizens, not necessarily super opposed to God, but they just don't think they need God because they're pretty decent. And then we've got a subset within that group of the decent Daryls, that puts church clothes on. We're going to call these the religious Rodneys, the re- religious Rodneys of the world. And this is the group of people that Paul wants us to, to be aware of this morning in Romans two twelve through 29. So we're going to read that a little bit throughout the, the, the message and look at the religious Rodneys. And just before we get into this, I just want to remind you, when we look at the scriptures, there is always a temptation to pick them up and use them like a binocular right? set of binoculars where we're looking out at the world and we're just like looking at who does this fit? Who who needs to hear this sermon? Who can I send this to, right? I want to encourage you not to do that this morning. When we look at scripture, it's not meant to be a set of binoculars. It's meant to be a mirror where we hold it up in front of our face and we humbly say, Lord, how is this true in my life? I want it to be rid of out of my life, right? So as we go through that, let me just encourage you. I'm not calling you a bunch of religious Rodneys, but my guess is in a bunch of church-going folks like yourself this morning, that out of the three groups, we could probably pinpoint a couple tendencies of all of them, but I think this one probably hits closest to home for more of us than not. So just be aware of that don't, be, and I, and I'm gonna eat my words a little bit. Even as I was prepping this, it was like, oh, I hope I hope so-and-so's here to hear this. It's like, well, hold up, God. I'm just gonna told, tell people not to do that, right? So, uh, <laughs> like, come on, Levi, practice what you preach. So, be aware of that. Scripture is not binoculars. It is, is a mirror that we hold up together. So, Paul says, for the religious Rodneys, there are really three traps that you can fall into that he wants to make us aware of this morning. And the first trap that we can fall into with the, with the religion thing, is starting to believe that, it's, that salvation is all about what you know. It's all about what you know, right? It's all about truth and systematic theology and having all of your, your theological ducks just, man, right in a row. And if you get all of that right, well, then you're good and you will be saved. That's the trap that we can fall into. And Paul tells us that's wrong. He says, salvation is not just about what you know. It's not that truth isn't important. It is important. We need to make sure that we're clear on who Jesus is and truth is important, it just can't save us by itself. It's like a spoke on the wheel, not the center of the wheel of salvation. And so Paul starts out Romans 2.12 by reminding us that it's not just about what we know. It's not just about what we know. Salvation is not just about what we know. Romans 2.12, he says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law that are justified. So he says, it's not just about what you know. How you live matters also. It's about what you do, he seems to indicate. And some people might, might object to that. And they may say, well, hold up. What about the people that have never heard? What about the people who don't have the law? Is God just in holding them accountable? If he's, ex- if he's saying salvation is about what you do, it's not just about what you know, how does God hold people accountable that have never heard the gospel, that never have the law? How does God do that? And Paul says, good question. Good question, but that question is based on a wrong presupposition. He said, you are, you are thinking that God has no right to hold people accountable because they don't know any better. But the fact that you and I have a conscience tells us that we do. Whether or not we have the overt law of God, he says he's written the law on our hearts and that comes forth through our conscience. Now our conscience isn't enough to save us, but you will know that your conscience, if you haven't seared it too much, can be a really helpful thing to keep you out of a lot of trouble, right? Paul says the fact that each and every one of us has a conscience If someone treats you wrongly or if you're trying to teach your little kids, you say, how would you like it if they treated you that way? That question assumes that we understand there is a standard that all of us is aware of. That's the law of God. Whether we know it overtly or through our conscience, God says, there's enough to condemn everyone because I've given a conscience to everyone and y'all know what's right and wrong. Some of you sear that conscience, but it's there. Right? He, he clues us into that in Romans two fourteen through 15. He says, For when Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, where their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Sometimes our conscience convicts us. Sometimes it defends us. But Paul says, regardless, it's, it's there and that's evidence that, Paul, or that God can hold us accountable to how we live. And so the trap that religious Rodneys fall into is thinking that it's just about what we know. And Paul says, no, it's, it's not just about what we know. It's also about what we do with what we know. It's also about what we do with what we know. And for those of you who are paying attention, some of you might be feeling a little uncomfortable with where I'm going right now, you might be saying, hold up, what about Romans 1? Didn't we just say it's all, we're saved by faith alone? And now you're saying it's about what I know and about what I do? What's happening here, right? Some of you getting ready to send me an email. It's like, this guy's preaching heresy, which I would say, awesome. I'm glad that you're on your guard, and if I do preach heresy, you shouldn't just send me an email. You should send an email to all the elders and say, hey, what Levi's talking about is not in the Bible. That's not right. Those of you who have been around here enough, I hope you know enough of the gospel to feel a little uncomfortable, to be on your guard, to say, wait a second, where are you you going with this? And I want you to know, Paul is not a dummy. He is being really smart here. Again, he is walking us religious people out as far as he can on a limb of religiosity that he is going to chop off. So he says, listen, you religious Rodneys, you think it's all about what you know. You got your doctrine all squared away, right? Man, you're you're a Lutheran, and the Lutherans, they got it all figured out. Or you're a Presbyterian, and, and that's the right way. And they know all. you got your doctrine, right? You know all this. Not only do you know, but, man, you follow the law, and everybody, all the religious bodies like, yeah, preach it. Yeah, come on, Paul, right? You tell them, you tell those suppressing truth, Sam's, you tell them judgment's coming. You tell those decent Darrels. you tell them they don't know what I know. They don't do what I, you tell them, right? Preach, right? That's religious Rodney's. And Paul, he's kind of just smiling at himself because he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. He's about to clue them in, in Romans 2.16. He says, you guys think you do all the right stuff. You think you know all the right stuff, but Listen. On that day, on that day when Jesus comes, as my gospel says, God judges the secrets of men by Christ. By Christ. That's the relational aspect here. He's saying if you're not in Christ in relationship with Christ, then judgment is coming. Doesn't matter what you know. Doesn't matter what you do. You can expect judgment for all of the secret things that no one else knows. Problem is the religious Rodney's among us. We don't think we have any secrets or, or we do this. We look out and we judge everybody else for all their secrets. But then when we look in, there's grace for that. Oh yeah, we're good. We're good, right? So we judge everyone else, but we give ourselves grace. And Paul is saying, listen, that is not what it looks like to be in Jesus. There are not two standards, if you live by judgment for everyone else and grace for you, God says when you get before him and you're not in Jesus, living according to Jesus in relationship with Jesus, it ain't gonna be judgment for everyone else and grace for you. It's gonna be judgment for you too by the same standard that you judge everyone else. The truth is, if religious Rodneys could actually keep the law perfectly, they would be justified. If we could keep the law perfectly, Jesus would not have had to come. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, listen, you think you know the right stuff and can do all of the right stuff, you're right. If you could, if you could know all the right stuff and do all the right stuff perfectly, then salvation could come through that. But the reality is you got secrets. The reality is that when God comes, he's gonna expose those secrets and that picture that he's gonna show ain't gonna be a pretty one. Ain't gonna be a pretty one. And so Paul indulges this, these, this group of people, the religious Rodneys. He says, okay, you think you're a decent Christian. We're going to read it in, uh, coming up here in, I think it's 17, starting in verse 17. He launches into this thing, kind of, again, walking them out on that tree limb before he, he chops it off. He says, okay, I'll meet you guys where you're at. I'll meet you in your thought process. You say, you're a good Jew. You're a good Christian. You believe all the right stuff. You're a good guy. Pest says, All right. You're from the right family, right? You're from the right town. You are in the right political party. You got it all figured out. You you're you're just you're the guy. You read the Bible a lot. You you got verses memorized. Boy, you can talk theology. You could argue circles around most of the people in your church because you gotta just square it away. You're so smart, Paul says. You got a chapter and a verse for everything. You've got a great church resume. You do the small group stuff, you serve, we're painting in the back, man, you're there every time we paint. You're just you're killing it. And from the outside, boy, it sure looks like you got a relationship with God, Paul says. You make pretty solid ethical decisions. Because you have the law of God in your life and you're trying to follow it perfectly, your life looks cleaner than other folks because God is wise and he wrote the book on life. And so if we follow the book on life apart from relationship with God, chances are things will go better just naturally. So Paul says, great, you make good ethical decisions, you live with some wisdom in how you conduct yourself. And because of all of that, you feel, that, you feel pretty sure of yourself. You look out at the world, at the suppressing Sam's, at the, the decent Darrels, and you look down on them because your life's a lot cleaner than their life, right? You don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go with the girls that do. That's what we say, you know, right? You're, you're all kind of cleaned up. And because your house appears to be in order, man, you're sure of yourself. So sure of yourself that you can teach. You teach others, you teach the children, you teach Bible stories, You know and do so well, Paul says. God even says no one knows the day or the hour of Christ's return, but man, the religious Rodneys, they've read Revelation. They know. Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back, but the Rodneys, well, they know. They know, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you, here's the signs, and here's the verses, and here's when he's coming, and it's coming soon, so you better get your house in order or you're going to perish. And honestly... Kind of open he comes back and brings a judgment, because this whole thing, right? That's religious, Rodney's. That's religious, Rodney's. Paul says, "Okay, you've convinced yourself that you are God's gift to humanity." And those of us who fall into this camp in church, I'll just be honest with you. I err, like out of all of them, this is probably where I'm at more than like the decent Darrels or the suppressing Sams. I, I'm here. This is where I sin more. I get super judgmental. And there are times where I thought things like, "Boy." If people would just come talk to me, right? If they would just those idiots that are blind and can't see in the dark, if they I would I would shine a light because I know God's truth and I like I could clue them in. I can't be the only one that's ever thought that. Who's ever thought, gosh, if the politicians would just come talk to me, they sure could get this stuff in order a lot better. I could solve the world's problems, right? Come on. I'm not the only one that does that. I know I'm not, right? I can't be. These people are idiots, God is angry. He's angry, and I, for one, cannot wait for him to come and bring the pain on all these stupid people. (laughs) That's my paraphrase of Paul. That's the Levi translation. (laughs) Now let's read what he actually wrote. He says, but, in verse 17, but you call yourself a Jew, and you call yourself a good Christian, a church-going folk, you call yourself a Jew, you rely on the law, and you boast in God. And you know his will, and you approve of what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure, and or you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, and all those stupid people, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing. Do you steal? Do you ever forget to put some stuff on your tax form? Do you ever download a a video or some MP3s that you don't own? You who say that you must not commit adultery, do you ever look at pornography? Do you ever fantasize about another lady or man that is not your spouse? You who abhor idols, do you rob God's temple? Or do you rob temples? You who say, I don't worship money. Do you tithe? Do you live generously? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Church, this group of people is why our world cannot stand Christianity. Hypocrisy. The proud and puffed up and arrogant religious person that would rather argue with someone about doctrine and the end times than love people with the joy and peace of Jesus. Do you know how you've fallen into one of these two traps of believing that it's all about what you know or it's all about what you do, that you will be saved? It's if you become a person that other people cannot stand to be around. And you do it in the name of God. Friend, if your religion does not foster deep and meaningful, joy-filled relationships with God and with others, then it ain't biblical. It's not true gospel religion. The problem with religious Rodney is that he thinks he knows God he just knows about God. And usually what he knows about God is wrong. He thinks he's being biblical, but he's not. I read, or I listened to a pastor preach on this, this passage this, uh, that, I, that we're on this morning, uh, last week. I'm gonna quote him what he said. He said, you are not biblical unless you're relational. You're not biblical unless you're relational. Sometimes the most religious people are the least relational people. Sometimes people quote verses, but really it kind of just feels like they're throwing punches. I like to say sometimes Christians like to put a big stick on their Bible so they can clobber people with it more. That ain't biblical. That ain't biblical. The reality is that our relationship with God is meant to show us how to have healthy, healthy relationships with others. Our relationship with God is about building us up, not beating us down, and therefore our relationship with other people in the name of God should be about building them up, not beating them down. The reason why some people have broken relationships, the reasons why some Christians have have broken marriages, the reasons why some believers and religious folks have children that don't like to be around them or coworkers that don't enjoy being with them is because they have a misperception of their relationship with God. This is why we spent a whole summer unpacking who is God, right? Magnifying God most high because if we understand who God is rightly and we get that relationship right, then our horizontal relationships get better as well. If we believe God is far away and distant and can't be known, chances are we're far away and distant and won't move towards people in relationship. If we believe that God exists to judge only, then we'll be judges in our own life towards others. If we believe that God is an angry judge who punishes, and he punishes me, then I'm probably going to punish you as well. If you believe that God is pretty angry at you, most likely you'll start by being angry with others as well. These religious Rodneys have a misperception of who God is. And because of that, and their broken relationship with God, they then use and abuse people thinking that they're being godly, wrongly thinking that they're treating people the way that God treats people. Friends, this is wrong. God loves you. He loves me. He loves our world. And he wants you to love him and he wants you to love them. God forgives you, and he forgives me, so he wants us to forgive them. God blesses us through Christ, so he wants us to bless them. God is really, 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 really patient with you, so he wants you to be really, really, really patient with them. God comes alongside us to build us up, not beat us down. And so he wants us to come alongside them to build them up, not beat them down. Again, here's what I'm saying. If your religion, your relationship with the Father does not make you more relational, does not make you more loving and kind and joy-filled like Jesus, then it's not biblical. Then it's not biblical. Because it's not about what you know. It's not about what you do. It's about who you know. And then from there, what flows out of that Relationship. What flows out from that relationship. We can see this in the parable of the two sons. The parable of the two lost sons. You've heard it, the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son, we can go to the next slide. Alan, I skipped one on you. Sorry, there we go. The the parable of the two sons, the two lost sons. The younger son is the suppressing Sam. He says, I'd rather have the father's good gifts than the father. And so he rebels and he goes away and he does all kinds of wicked and nasty things. The older son is the religious Rodney, right? He's got the father, but he doesn't want a relationship with the father. He too just wants the father's good gifts, and he thinks that the way to get them is by serving him. So he just spends all his time in serving and being dutiful, but not actually relating in love to the father. Both sons are lost. And if you go and read that story from Luke, I think it's Luke 15. Don't quote me on that. It's in Luke. If you go read in that story, you'll discover what's the attitude of the father towards both sons, Does he say, well, this guy, judge him, get rid of him, hope he never comes back. This other guy, what a piece of work. He's been in my family, hope he never, I'm writing him out. of. No, his attitude is to move towards both of those sons in love and in relationship. Because it's not about what you know or what you do, it's about who you know. And the father says, if you will come into my family, you can expect me to always move towards you in relationship and in love. The last religious trap that we can fall into, the religious Rodneys of the world, is believing what you know is what saves you, that truth is the only thing. It's important, it's just not the only thing. Believing that what you do is the only thing, also important, it's just not the thing that saves you, right? If your behavior flows out of a loving relationship with the Father, so it matters how you live, but that can't get you in or out of heaven. And then lastly is believing that the signs we perform as religious people are what saves us. Paul's going to talk to us about circumcision here in a minute. And I know there are a bunch of you who woke up this morning saying, I hope we talk about circumcision at church today. (laughs) It's such a weird thing. I have to talk about it occasionally, right? It's a sign. It's a sign of the covenant. And God asked his people to perform that sign as a symbol of what was going to happen to them spiritually if they broke the covenant. right? Don't use your imaginations here, but he says, like this symbol, if you don't Uphold your end of the covenant, you are going to be cut off from me, relationally, and from others, relationally. Alone and isolated, relational destruction. I don't want that for you. So uphold your end of the covenant, which is we're enabled to do through Jesus, right? That's a sign. He says there's nothing wrong with circumcision. The problem is, is when we make circumcision or baptism or communion, a sacrament that saves us. If we go through and jump through these hoops, then God is happy with us and then we're going to be saved. Paul says no, no. It's like this, I wear a wedding ring because I'm married and I have a wife. How stupid would it be for me to wear this ring if I didn't have a wife? Wearing the sign without having the thing that the sign points to is meaningless. So Paul says, and I'm not going to read it because it's really confusing. You can read it for yourself. Essentially, in verses 25 through 28, he says, listen, circumcision is important. In that, it's a sign of the covenant that points to the covenant relationship with God. Baptism is important because it's a symbol of an inward change that has happened and now you are outwardly washed and cleaned. And I want you to go before the people once you've had faith. This is why we practice believer's baptism and not infant baptism because we believe that faith comes first and the inward change has to happen. The thing the symbol points to that you have to make a decision to sign up to be on God's team and become his family member and then publicly declare, I am a child of God, and then we dunk you as a symbol. The water's not magical, right? Same thing with communion. This is not the body and blood of Jesus. There's nothing mystical that happens. We're remembering what actually happened, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when we take this, we remember it and it engages our senses and reminds us in in a more tangible way of the gospel. It's a sign, it's a symbol that points to the real thing. So Paul says, listen, religious Rodney's churchgoers, I love you. I love you. You have secrets. You don't know all the right things, even think even though you think you do. You don't do all of the right things even though you're willing to give yourself grace. God gives you grace too, but that ain't getting into heaven. And all of the signs that you perform, that ain't it either. It's about who you know. It's about who you know. Not just knowing about God and facts about him that you nod your head along to. Not just following the rules of God. Not just performing the rites of religion. It's about actually knowing God personally. Listen, Paul says here, <clears throat> he says, but a Jew or a Christian, a believer is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise that Christian, that Jew who's been transformed inwardly, his praise, his affection, his love comes not from man, but from God. Friends, what could my children do to ever stop being my children? Nothing. They couldn't, they couldn't get less smart, right? If we removed knowledge from them or gave them more knowledge, wouldn't change their position in my family. If they performed great behaviors or did really bad behaviors, it wouldn't change their position in my family. If they jumped through all of the rules that I set up for them or didn't, it would not change their position in my family. My praise, my love, my affection as their father will never change because they're my child. That is what faith does for you and for me. When we express faith, believing loyalty in Jesus, we are saying, God, I want you as my father and I want to be one of your children. God says, come on into the family. Come on into the family. Let me change you from the inside out. Let me teach you the truth. Let me show you what's true. I will, I've got truth for you. Let me show you how to live. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shape up your behavior. We're, we're gonna work on some of those things. We'll clean your house a little bit. And I'm gonna show you some things that are gonna be helpful to you as, as you try and remember me in a world where, where I'm not always physically and tangibly present. But please remember that it's not about what you know. And it's not ultimately about what you do. It's not about the hoops and rules that you follow. It's about knowing me, about loving me, and knowing that I will never stop loving you. Friend, if you and I can live there, we will not be a religious Rodney. Religious Rodneys, do you know what they're like? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Grumble, grumble. (laughs) They're grumpy. They're grumpy because they do not understand the love of the Father. They do not live with joy or peace. They think that God is an angry judge and out to punish and judge, and so they're out to punish and judge and be angry. God says, that's not what I have for you. That's not who my son was, and I want to make you more like my son. Come into my family and let me show you. Let me show you the love and peace and grace that I have for you. Quit grumbling. Receive my grace and give my grace to others. Let's pray. Father, I think that each and every one of us could identify different Aspects of each group of these people that resonates in our hearts. Some of us, Lord, don't like the truths that you give us, and we try to suppress them and invent our own ways of doing things. Some of us think we're pretty decent people, and if we're honest, don't know if we really need a savior. And others of us are convinced that we know the truth, that we are a guide to the blind world, a bunch of lost and broken people. We think that we do all the right stuff. And we think that because of that, you are pleased with us. Lord Jesus, none of that is the gospel. None of that is good news. All of that makes us a slave to either ourselves and our wants and wishes or a list of rules that we can't live up to. Makes us into grumpy people rather than joy-filled, grace-filled people. So Father, we renounce and confess that before you this morning. We are not everything we should be. We are more lost than we know. We are more sinful than we know. And yet, in Jesus, we are more loved than we could ever imagine as a child of the King. Would you help us live in that reality this morning? Take away our grumbles and our fears, Lord. We need you. We need nothing else but you. Fill us with your joy, the joy of your presence, of knowing that there is a Father in heaven who calls us son, who calls us daughter. And as we live out of that relationship, Lord, change us. Make us look more like Jesus. Man, that guy, that God, who didn't want to spend time with him when he was here on earth? Make us like that. For your glory, for our joy, we pray. Amen.